Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your blessing on your word, Lord. You promised that your word would not return void. Lord, just as you send the rain and it causes growth and then it goes back to heaven and it cycles through and through, you've promised your word would go forth and it would return to you by causing growth and fruit and life. And we claim that promise today, Lord. We pray that your word would cause growth in us, that we would become fruitful because of what we hear today. And Lord, we submit ourselves to you and to your truth. In Jesus' name, thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us. Amen. Praise the Lord. The topic of today's sermon is, can I really trust the Bible? We've been doing a, a short series on hard questions, and there's been a lot of attacks on the Bible recently. A, a, about a decade ago, a guy called Dan Brown wrote a book, or a few books, The Da Vinci Code, and he attacked the Bible, and quite a few Christians got all rattled. Is the Bible true? Is the Bible really the Word of God? Maybe there's supposed to be other books or letters or gospels that are supposed to be in the Bible, but maybe the church, the Catholic church, cracked down and stopped people from including them in the Bible, and maybe the Bible has been corrupted by humans who have tried to control what we hear, and they, they're deciding to leave bits out, and maybe the Bible's been passed down so many times from so many different copyists that the words we've got today are not the words we had in the beginning. What are we going to do? Oh, is the Bible really true? And I, I want to try and address that today. Um, as best I can, in 30 minutes, I want to try and address that. So please stay with me. If you have a question that I don't answer, please put your hand up. I promise you, I don't mind. I want to try and uh, scratch where it's itching rather than just scratching anywhere on your body. So let's try and address the right issues. Can I just tell you about Shakespeare? Shakespeare is by far the most popular writer that England has ever produced, but actually the whole world. He's the highest selling fiction writer in the world. Did you know that? His works have been sold over two billion copies. Maybe some people say three billion or, billion or even four billion copies of Shakespeare's plays have been sold. Isn't that amazing? You know, they've been translated into 79 languages. Maybe 80 if you include the Star Trek language Klingon, because Shakespeare's works have been translated into Klingon language from Star Trek. Amazing. They're all over the world. Um, he wrote, I think it was 37 or 38 plays in around about 1600, 1580, 90, 1600, around there was when Shakespeare wrote, and they were just so popular, even when he was alive. You know, many great writers and artists, they, their work only becomes popular after they die, but Shakespeare was a wealthy man while he was alive because his work was so popular. Now let's just think about Shakespeare's works. They were written 1600, that's not that long ago. 400 odd years ago, really comparatively recently. And it was after the printing press had been invented. The printing press was invented in the 1400s, so there was the ability to print and to copy and to make many copies of his work. And yet, we really don't have that many original copies of Shakespeare's works. About 20 odd years after he finished writing, somebody decided, let's gather all his works together and put them in, a, in one document called the First Folio, 
and I think about 700 copies of that were made, and only 233 copies of that book still remain today. And all 233 are different. No two are the same. And there are so many differences and errors in Shakespeare's writing. In fact, the play King Lear, there are two completely different versions of King Lear. So when you study King Lear today in school for GCSEs or A-levels, some modern person has looked at these versions of King Lear and picked the bits they want and made a composite and decided what King Lear is. There are so many versions. In fact, even Shakespeare's name, there are 80 different ways of spelling Shakespeare's name and nobody knows which is the correct one. And that was only 400 years ago. And this was the most popular writer of all time. How on earth, the Bible, 2,000 years ago, how does that compare? We're going to look at that a little bit later on. But just, you know, the famous phrase from Shakespeare, to be or not to be, that is the question. One of the versions, one of the early manuscripts, let me just read it, because I need to just get this right. It says, to be or not to be, aye, there's a point. <laughs> they just changed it so many times. There's so many versions of these plays. And the, the modern people decided, let's try and get it together. That's what happens when you get a human author who's extremely popular and people love him and want to uh, distribute his works. The best they can do is to save about 230 copies written about 20 years after he died, after he finished writing, and um, there's lots of errors in them. What about the Bible? Well, let me just tell you that the Bible is the most amazing book. It is the best-selling book of all time. A quote from the Times said, The Bible is the biggest selling book every year. If sales of the Bible were reflected in bestseller lists, it would be a rare week that anything else would get a look in. People estimate that there have been over 6 billion copies of the Bible sold, and that's excluding all the electronic copies and the copies that are given away for free. It's been translated, remember Shakespeare's been translated into 80 languages. The Bible has been translated into 2,000 languages. It is the best-selling book of all time. Every year, 44 million copies of the Bible are sold. Much more than any other book, ever. There's something amazing about this book. It's not just a collection of writings that a few people decided, let's get together. And when you think about the Bible that was written over one and a half thousand years, it's from the time the first Bible writers began to the time the Bible was finished being written, it was 1,500 years. Imagine, I said to you, you've got to choose 40 different people to write different books, and they've got to live 1,500 years apart, they've got to live on three different continents, they've got to speak three different languages, and they've got to be of all different types, from shepherds to kings to doctors to tax collectors, different nationalities, and now you put all those books together, do you think you're going to get a common book that looks like it was written by one author? You won't. And yet the Bible is exactly that. And it is one book. You can read it from beginning to end. The themes are consistent right from the start to the end. The Bible starts with a garden and a river and a tree of life. And it ends, Revelation 22, with the same thing in heaven. It's consistent throughout, through and through. It's an amazing book. Right, let me just talk about this idea of this word called scripture. You may not know that it's such a big deal, but this word scripture in the Greek, it's graphe, 
Jesus used this word quite a few times. Let me just read you a couple of the things that Jesus said. Some of these are going to go up on, your, on the screen. Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise again the third day. Again and again and again, Jesus said, the scriptures must be fulfilled. He had an idea in his mind. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to earth 2,000 years ago, used this word scripture, and he kept saying, the scriptures must be fulfilled. He had in his, in his mind an idea of a group of writings called the scriptures, a very definite group. It wasn't everything. It was basically the 39 books of the Old Testament that we have today were exactly the books that the Jews had as their uh, Bible, the, the Tanakh. And um, Jesus called those the scriptures. Exactly the same 39 books that we have. And he said they must be fulfilled. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. Imagine Jesus having an idea. There's certain writings, they cannot be broken. They must be fulfilled. Another verse, Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? Again and again, when he was arguing with someone, rather than saying, I feel like God says, or, or this makes common sense, or this is logical, he just kept going back and saying, the, have you not read? The scripture says. When he was arguing with the devil, he said, it is written. He used the scriptures as his basis of God's word revealed and therefore the end of all argument and truth. And he said it cannot be broken. It must be fulfilled. It is perfect. So what is the scriptures? Is it just the Old Testament? We are supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to have in our minds, if we're going to copy Jesus our Savior, we're supposed to have in our minds an idea of certain words and writings that are correct, that are from God. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. The Scripture is God-breathed. We're supposed to have in our minds an idea of what is the Scripture, a set of writings that is clear and defined and we know what it is. Is it the Old Testament only? Well, no, because in the New Testament, they started referring to letters of Paul and some of the writings of Luke and some of the other letters, they started calling those scripture as well. Peter says, Peter's writing, and he says, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, speaking of these things, some of them are hard to understand, as are the other scriptures. In other words, he was saying Paul's letters are part of this thing called scripture. Peter writing, right at the beginning, in the first hundred years of A.D., after Jesus was born, Peter says, Paul's letters are scripture. The same as those Old Testament writings, Paul's letters are scripture. And then Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.18. He says, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads the grain and the labor is worthy of its wages. So Paul is writing, he says, the scripture says, and then he quotes a verse from Deuteronomy, do not muzzle the ox 
So we know that that's the Old Testament. But then he quotes, the laborer is worthy of his wages. That does not appear in the Old Testament. It appears in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. And it's word for word what Jesus said in Luke. So Paul was saying the gospel of Luke is scripture. Right from the beginning, they had this idea there is a thing called scripture that is God-breathed that we can rely on, that we can put our trust in, and it's definite writings, definite letters and words. Dan Brown will say that there was a council, I, I must admit I can't remember exactly what Dan Brown says, but I think he says something along the lines that in 300 and something AD, the Catholic Church got together and some of the top powerful people looked at all the letters and they said, no, we don't want that one, we want this one, let's cut bits out of that one, we're just going to take that bit because that talks about women or that talks about something, right, we're just going to force everyone to read these books. But actually, the amazing thing about today is that you can look on the internet, you can do a search and you can find out exactly how we got our Bible. The 27 books of the New Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament. It's so plainly written out. It's a matter of history. And I want to just explain it to you a bit today so that you can see how we got our Bible. Basically, right from the early days, in the first hundred years after Jesus, the, uh, the letters that Paul and Peter and uh, the, the four Gospels, they were circulating among the churches as well as lots of other letters. You know, Paul wrote other letters, not just the ones that we have in our New Testament. So in 2 Corinthians, in the second book of Corinthians, Paul refers to his previous letter, but it's a letter that we don't have in the Bible. So Paul and others were writing letters, other people were writing accounts of what Jesus had done, and, and people were writing letters amongst themselves and amongst the churches, and these were circulating widely, but some of them were considered scripture by the early people. And so there's a man called Clement of Rome who, who was writing. We have copies of his letters in AD 95. He mentioned in his letters eight of the New Testament books that we have. He mentioned them. He wasn't just saying there are only eight. He just mentioned eight of them and said these books are scriptures. That was in AD 95. In AD 115, there was a man called Ignatius of Antioch, and we've got copies of all of his, his writings, and he mentions seven of the books of the New Testament in his writings, not saying there's only seven, but he acknowledged there were seven that he quoted, which was scripture. Uh, a guy called Polycarp in AD 108 was writing letters, and he mentioned 15 of the books in our New Testament. A man called Iranius in AD 185 mentioned 21 of the books. And a man called Hippolytus in AD 170 mentioned 22 of the books. And then in AD 170, the first attempt to gather the books together was made. And it was called the Muratorian Canon. And it included all the New Testament books that we have except three. Hebrews, James, and three John. But basically... What happened was it wasn't a, a, a central council that decided these are the books we're going to read. Imagine a, a world where there's churches spread out all over the, the known world. There are Christians meeting and these letters are circulating, hundreds of letters. And in every single church, the people there, please listen carefully to me, the people there prayed, read the letters 
and said, Lord, we know we're supposed to have Scripture. We know the Old Testament is Scripture. But which of these letters is from you, is God-breathed, is part of your Scripture? And they all, each individual church, decided for themselves which, one of the le which letters they were going to include as being Scripture. And then when they got together, they had several councils over the years. And the final one was in AD 397, I think it was, or 393. Okay, there was a Council of Hippo and a Council of Carthage in 393 and 397, where they said they got the leaders together from all the different parts of the world. Remember, there was no internet and email and cell phones. So they got together at these councils and they said, which, which letters are you guys using as scripture? And which ones are you using? And you know what they found out? They were all using the same 27 books. And so they said, this is the scripture and it's never changed since then but it wasn't a council saying you guys are not allowed to use any other books there were hundreds of letters floating around and gospels and because of the internet they're all still floating around you can find them you can read the gospel of thomas and the gospel of mary and the, the all these different things and it's obvious if you read them they're not the same as the books we've got Anyone with the Holy Spirit in them can read those other letters and those other books and see that they are completely inferior and different to what we have. The ring of truth, the ring of power, the gospel truth in these books that we have as our Bible is so obvious to anyone, any, any Christian can read it and say, that's the Word of God. And then you read some of these other letters and it's not. And it's completely obvious. And as I say, the amazing thing is that any one of us can research this now. There's nothing hidden. It's all obvious. It's open on the, on the internet. You can actually see the original manuscripts. They've got photographs of the original manuscripts that they have of the early writings. Okay, let me move on. There's another picture that's going to go up on the screen for you now about the different books that were written in old times. So I've mentioned Shakespeare's works. I mentioned that... Uh, about 20 years after he finished writing, they gathered them together, they made a, a book, and there were 233 copies made, and they were full of errors. I mean, just about every single one is different from every other one. But there were other people who wrote books in the old, olden days. There was a guy called Plato, very famous. He wrote uh, many writings in about 400 BC, so 400 years before Christ. There was Caesar, wrote the Gallic Wars. He wrote quite a lot of uh, stuff in about 100, all the way from up to 44 BC, so very similar time to the Bible. A man called Tacitus in AD 100, famous writer, wrote some writings, again, similar to the time of the Bible. Sophocles, 496 to 406 BC. And then Homer, who wrote the Iliad. This was the Greek's Bible. The Iliad was the Bible that the Greek people used, and so it was the most popular. Now, out of those... The number of um, copies, you see on the far right of this, of this chart, it says the number of manuscripts that we still have. So Plato's writings, there are seven manuscripts that still exist. Only seven. And the earliest one we have was written 1,200 years, was copied 1,200 years after the original. So we don't have any of the original manuscripts from Plato. But we have something that was written 1,200 years later. That's the earliest we have, and we have seven copies of that. Caesar's writings, the earliest we have is 1,000 years after Caesar wrote. 
and we have 10 copies of that. Tacitus, a thousand years later, 20 copies of that. I've already said Shakespeare about 20 years after he wrote and we have 233 copies. Sophocles, 1,400 years later, we have 193 copies. Homer's Iliad is by far the most popular apart from the Bible. It was about 500 years after he wrote and we have 643 copies of those manuscripts. The Bible, the earliest we have is between 8 and 30 years after it was written. And we have 24 thousand manuscripts. Let me just explain that to you. If I have seven manuscripts and they're different, there's differences between them, I try and work out between the seven what is the right thing. So when they look at Shakespeare's writing, they look at it and they say, what did Shakespeare really say? And the more manuscripts you have, you can find out whether or not the, the, you have the accurate writings. We have 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament writings. And we can be certain. There's a man called Bruce Metzger who was at Princeton University, a very famous um, scholar and professor. And he said 99.6% of the New Testament is completely accurate and confirmed. We know exactly what it was said. And the other 0.4% are tiny little differences that actually don't really make any difference. It's just a word added here or there. In 1 John 5, there's a couple of lines that might have been added, we're not sure. But in all of our New Testaments and all of our Bibles, when you read them, they'll put a little footnote and they'll say, some manuscripts say, so nobody's trying to hide anything. They say, we think it could be this or that, but it doesn't change the meaning anyway. It's absolutely amazing. Another thing that's amazing is even if all 24,000 of the manuscripts that we have of the Bible were destroyed, even if they were completely lost, we can piece together the whole of the New Testament except for 11 verses from the letters that people wrote to each other where they quoted parts of the Bible. Let me just say that again. Even if we lost every manuscript that we have of the, of the New Testament, we could get the letters that people wrote to each other where they quoted the Bible and we can piece together the whole of the New Testament except for 11 verses. It's quite astounding. I mean... It's absolutely amazing. Scholars look at this and they say they can't believe the evidence there is for the accuracy and the trustworthiness of the New Testament. Let me just read you a couple of quotes. This is from a man who was the director of the British Museum, a man called Philip Comfort. He wrote a book in 92. He said, the interval between the dates of original composition and the earliest evidence becomes so small as to be in fact negligible. The last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. There's another man called Nelson Gleck who's a very famous archaeologist. He said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. And then another very well-respected scholar, Dr. J. Kinnaman, said, of the hundreds of thousands of artifacts found by archaeologists, not one has ever been discovered that contradicts or denies one word, phrase, clause, or sentence of the Bible but always confirms and verifies the facts of the biblical record. 
I just want to tell you briefly about the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1947, there were some uh, little kids who were playing near some caves. Some shepherds discovered, quite by accident, some caves in the Qumran Valley, uh, northwest of the Dead Sea. There were fragments in there of every book of the Old Testament, except the book of Esther. More than 10 scrolls were beautifully, beautifully preserved intact, including two copies of Isaiah. They were dated from about the 2nd or the 3rd century BC. So, in 1947, they discovered in a cave some jars with some manuscripts in them, and they found the, every book of the Old Testament except Esther was in there, and, and very, very well preserved. And these were written in about 200 BC, which means they were a thousand years younger or earlier than any other manuscripts we'd ever had of the Old Testament. So suddenly a thousand years earlier. Now, when this happened, everybody sat up and took notes and they thought, wow, are we going to find that the manuscripts that we have now are very different from those that were written a thousand years earlier. How many mistakes, how many changes have been made? Maybe all this copying has made errors happen again and again and again. The, the copies of Isaiah written a thousand years earlier than previously known uh, proved to be word for word identical to our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. The 5% variation consisted chiefly of slips of the pen, tiny variations of spelling. Um, of the 166 words in Isaiah 53, only one word was in question. I wonder if you can look in Isaiah 53, verse 11, if you've got a Bible. I just want to show you how this works. So, Isaiah 53, they compared what we had to what was in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and in verse 11... My, my Bible says of verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And there's a little footnote next to that, and it says underneath, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint read, from the labor of his soul he shall see light. There was one word added in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was the word light in verse 11. And so they put a footnote in our Bible. Whenever there's a dispute or a difference, there's a little footnote in your Bible. There's a little mark and it tells you some versions say this and some versions say that. And of all of those disputes and discrepancies, none of them change the meaning of the Bible at all. We know it's completely transparent. We know what all the different manuscripts say. And when there's differences, you can read the differences or you can look them up on the internet and they don't change the meaning at all. Nobody's trying to hide anything. It's completely transparent. And the amazing thing, the miraculous thing, is that if it wasn't for God, there's no way we could get such accuracy in the Bible. Shakespeare's writings, the greatest poet and playwright ever, is full of mistakes. The Bible is almost completely accurate. And even those little changes where we're not sure of are completely inconsequential and we can see what they are. How can that happen? How is it possible that a book so old could be so accurate? I just want to close with this. I just want to say that God said, trust in my scripture. It's part of God's plan for you and I as Christians to have something outside of ourselves that we can rely on, that we can look at and say, this is scripture. This is God breathed. This is God's words. I can rely on it. It's part of God's plan. God never wanted Christians to be in a position where they don't know what he says. 
He never wanted us to be in a situation where we're only judging by our own feelings, our own thoughts, which sometimes, you know, some days I'm feeling good and some days I'm feeling bad. On the days when I'm in a good mood, I want to prophesy, God says victory. On the days I wake up in a bad mood, it's like, God says the world's going to end at the blood moon. God says, I never wanted you to be in that position. I want you to have something. Listen, I'm all for prophecy. I love prophecy. I think it's wonderful, but it never trumps the Bible, the Scripture. And God gave it to us. It is the most amazing gift that God was watching over His Word to make sure that we got it in this day and age in a way that we can trust it, that we can research it. We know what the original language has said. There's nothing hidden. There's no kind of conspiracy theory. You can find God's word. If you want to find God's word, you can find it. Aren't we privileged to have God's word? It's the most amazing thing. I watched a little video clip recently on the internet of some people in China getting given Bibles for the first time. They're Christians who had heard the gospel. They'd become Christians, but they never had Bibles. And they were weeping as they opened the Bibles. They were weeping. And they were just, the emotion was just coming out of them. A, a real Bible. My own real Bible. They were, it was the most precious thing to them. And I thought to myself, how many of us have five of these? And we never even look at it. It's God's Word. It's trustworthy. It's full of prophecies that could never come true if they weren't from God. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that are so precise and specific and they were fulfilled in Jesus or in other events in, in history. It's so amazing, this Bible. Let's pray together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us your word, Lord. Thank you that you didn't leave us to our own devices. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to honor and use and, and love Scripture as much as Jesus did. Help us, Lord, to rely on Scripture. Help us, Lord, to put it in our hearts. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Help us, Lord. Help us to love your word and for it to bear much fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.